But Y is supported by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings may vary. This is But Why, a podcast for curious kids. I'm Jane Lindholm. On this show, we invite you to be the leaders. You tell us what you want to hear about, what makes you curious, and we find interesting people to help answer the questions you send us. We love hearing every single one of your questions, so thanks to everyone who has sent one in. We'll tell you how to do it at the end of the episode. Okay, do you like to take field trips? I do. For this episode, we went to two different places to answer some of your questions and learn new things. Let's get right to it. Hello, my name is Isabel. I live in Brazil and I have seven years old. And my question is, how do you make glass? My name is Cameron and I am five years old and I'm from San Jose, California. And my question is, how does glass get made? My name is Madeline. I am six years old. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. I want to know how glass is made. Hello, my name is Yael. I live in Badabong, Cambodia, and I'm seven and a half. I'm going to tell my question in French and English. Comment fait du verre? And also... How do we make glass? Thank you. I hope you can hear my question and answer it too. Bye. I love hearing a question in French and English. You guys come from all over the world. Brazil, California, Arizona, and Cambodia. And all of you want to know the same thing. How is glass made? Well, to find out, I took a field trip over to a place called Simon Pierce in Windsor, Vermont. Simon Pierce is a place where they make some really beautiful glass things, like bowls and vases and fragile cups, the kinds the adults in your life might tell you, don't touch! My name is Mike Cushing. I've been a glass blower here at Simon Pierce for a little over 20 years. Maybe first you could tell us what glass is made out of. Glass is basically made from silica sand. That's right, sand. Glass is made out of sand. This special sand is shipped to Simon Pierce, where it's put into a great big furnace or oven. A very hot oven. About 2,400 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, the furnace runs all of the time and stays at that temperature 24 hours a day, 365 days a year without ever cooling down. To give you some idea of how hot that is, your oven at home probably only goes up to about 500 degrees or so Fahrenheit or 260 degrees Celsius. Now, the center of the sun is 27 million degrees Fahrenheit, so we're not talking about that kind of heat. But still, 
way hotter than anything you have in your home. So if I went to the beach and I picked up a bucket of sand and took it home and I put it in my oven, would it turn into glass? No. <laughs> um, they search all over for a specific kind of sand, silica sand, to make glass. In theory, if you took beach sand and you heated it up enough, it would melt into glass. Um, however, your oven at home would not even become close to hot enough to make that happen. And the sand at the beach, I imagine, has a lot of other things in it besides pure silica. It has little pieces of shells and bones and other kinds of substances that would probably make that glass not pure and clear, right? Correct. Um, there's a lot of minerals and other items in, in sand that's filtered out for our process. A fun fact about glass is all glass is clear. If you see a piece of glass that's green or blue, they simply change the color of that by adding a metal to the process. When you melt the silica sand, if you add copper to that mix, a very small amount will turn your glass to blue. You can add sulfur or lead to turn your glass yellow, nickel oxide for violet, iron for brown. And there are other chemicals that can be added to take color out of glass if the silica sand is not quite pure. So you take this sand and you melt it in the hot, hot oven, and then you've got liquid or molten glass, clear and very, very hot, and it moves around like lava, sort of. So how does it get from a liquid to all the different things we make out of glass? Windows, cups, car windshields, casserole dishes, bottles? Most glass is poured into molds to make the glass a different shape, like the bottles you might see drinks in. The hot, liquid, molten glass is poured into a mold of the shape, and then it cools down, and voila, it's a jar. Things like windows that are very flat and straight are poured onto a flat surface, and they melt in that shape. It's kind of like how if you pour water onto a plate and put it in the freezer, it would come out as a frozen sheet of ice. But there's another way that people make shapes in glass, and it's called blowing glass or glass blowing. For us at Simon Pierce, our process is very similar now to the way they made glass a thousand years ago. The glass actually, when it's hot, will adhere to a metal rod. Adhere is a verb that means to attach or stick to something. So the kind of melty globby glass sticks to a metal rod that someone has stuck into the oven. We use hollow metal rods to gather the liquid glass from the furnace. It's very similar to honey when you're gathering out of the furnace. Uh, it's a similar texture, and you take that glass from the furnace, and we use various tools to shape that to a shape we'd like. And all of our pieces have a wooden mold. So when you get the glass to a temperature that's solid enough, you can actually put that glass into the mold and you blow through the hollow pipe and it takes the shape of the piece you're trying to make. So people may have heard of this called glass blowing and that's actually what you're doing. This You're actually blowing with your breath through this hollow metal rod to shape that glass sort of from the inside out? Correct. So it's the right shape, but it's still attached to that metal rod. Mike Cushing says they use a special tool to cut the glass to get it off the rod. Glass wants to break in its easiest location, so we have tools that will make a sharp line in the glass. So when you tap that metal pipe, 
the glass will want to break in that location every time. Then, using heat, they finish the top of, say, a drinking glass, so it's nice and smooth and won't cut your mouth when you put it up to your lips. And they finish the bottom using heat as well. What kind of safety precautions do you have to take if you're working with glass? The biggest safety concern that we have here is that glass gets what's called glass stress, and it has to be cooled very, very slowly. If it does not cool at the right speed, it can actually explode into millions of small pieces. So while you're working, there's always some cold glass that hasn't been annealed around the shop that can explode. So it's very important to make sure that you have safety glasses on to protect your eyes, to make sure that you have good shoes on to protect your feet when you're walking, and and also uh, the right clothing to make sure that you don't uh, get any burns on your skin from the glass while you're working with it. Not all glass is blown glass. What you do is pretty special and pretty specific. And um, in many ways, what you do is is an art form. But a lot of glass is really utilitarian. It just serves a very um, business-like purpose, a glass that we might use to have um, spaghetti sauce in when you buy from a store. is probably not blown by hand with, by somebody like you. So how is other glass made? It's a very similar process. Um, if you look at uh, different bottling companies that make jars for spaghetti sauce or bottles for soda, um, the process is very, very similar. However, it's, it's made very quickly by machine, and it's a much lower quality of glass that's more prone to break, is less clear and less brilliant uh, than the glass that we make here. And so, as you said, it's made by machines. So machines are shaping that liquid glass into the form? It's very similar. Uh, All of those places that make uh, mass quantities of a glass item have molds uh, that are similar to what we have. Theirs are probably made from steel. And uh, the glass pours into a vessel, and the machine forces air in to make that piece. Hi, my name is Desmond. I live in Jillaby, Australia. I'm five years old, and my question is, why does glass break? Well, that's a hard one for me to answer. Um, Why? You've worked with glass for 20 years. (laughs) I'm really not sure how to to answer that question, I guess. Um, It's just the consistency of glass. It's a hard object that's fragile, and so if if you drop it, it will break. Okay, let me jump in here and help out. Glass is really interesting because it's very, very strong, but it can also break and shatter into a million pieces. What gives? It's complicated, but basically the molecular structure, the makeup of glass, means that it doesn't have a way to bend or stretch if it gets stressed or pushed upon, like if you bump it against something or hit it with a hammer. So it breaks instead of bending, and it breaks in random ways, shattering. You can also break a glass if you pour something into it that's a very different temperature than the glass itself, like a cold glass and very hot water. That's because where the hot water hits the glass, it causes the glass to expand, reacting to that temperature change. But glass isn't very good at spreading out that heat, so the outside of the glass is cool while the inside of the glass is hot and expanding. 
So there's a difference between the outside and the inside. And remember, glass doesn't bend or stretch very easily, so it breaks. It's called thermal shock. Now, if you have a car or ride in a bus or a taxi or a train to get around, there's a lot of glass in those windows, right? That glass is made in a special way to break more safely than a vase you would put flowers in or a cup for water. A windshield is usually something called safety glass, which is actually a glass plastic sandwich. Two pieces of glass with a very thin piece of vinyl plastic in between them. When something hits the windshield, usually it's only the outer pane of glass that breaks, so it doesn't shatter on you. If something hits the windshield really hard, the whole windshield might shatter, but the glass is more likely to adhere to the vinyl. Remember what adhere means? It means to stick to. So the glass kind of sticks to the plastic instead of falling all over you, usually. Now, the side windows in your car do shatter, but they're designed to shatter into small pieces like a bunch of little rocks or rock salt, not jagged edges. Scientists and engineers and designers have learned many, many different ways to work with glass to make it do amazing things for us, from being in telescopes to cars to medical equipment to the screen on a cell phone to the glasses that you drink out of to the glasses that you wear on your face. Glass is pretty cool. Stay with us. We're going to explore something else that's really cool coming right up. But first, a message for the adults who are listening. Support for our program comes from Oak Meadow, providing secular, student-centered homeschooling curriculum and a teacher-supported distance learning school for K-12. Oak Meadow has encouraged kids to follow their curiosity and uncover the answers to But Why for 45 years. To learn more, visit oakmeadow.com. This is But Why, a podcast for curious kids. I'm Jane Lindholm, and now we're switching to something else clear and breakable. Or maybe poppable. I traveled to a place here in Vermont and met up with this guy. Hi, I'm Marcos Staffney, the executive director of the Montshire Museum of Science in Norwich, Vermont. So, Marcos, we're here in the bubble exhibit at the Montshire. What happens in the bubble exhibit? Well, all throughout the exhibition, we have different stations where families can get together and make bubbles. They can make large bubbles, small bubbles, get inside of a bubble, and then experiment with foam. They can blow smoke in a bubble. Anything you kind of want to do with the bubble, you can do here in our bubble exhibition. What's a bubble? Well, a bubble is basically some soap and some water. That's the easy answer. But I like to think of a bubble as a soap sandwich. So we eat sandwiches, right? And it's usually two pieces of bread and a piece of meat on the inside. But a soap sandwich would be two pieces of soap with some water on the inside. So if you think about it, it's a layer of soap, then a layer of water, then a layer of soap. And that's what's helping to create a bubble. Are bubbles always circles? Well, the real shape that we call a bubble is a sphere. And a sphere is a naturally occurring shape in nature. Nature always likes to take the path of least resistance, so it makes the most easiest shape it can make. So when we see a bubble made out of soap and water, that is always going to be a sphere. Now, sometimes the materials can be joined together and create different types of shapes. Like we can actually make a square with inside of a bubble because the material is taking the shape of the path of least resistance. 
Or if you're making a bubble and it lands on a wet table, it might be kind of like a half circle, and then the, there's a flat bottom to it because it just sticks to the table. That's right. It's taking the shape of a dome. So it's trying to spread out all of its molecules, which are these little tiny things that make up everything in the entire world, and it's making sure that those molecules are spread out so that they can take up the least amount of energy. So you have a dome on the top, and you might have a flat bottom. My name is Mira, and I live in Oakland, California, and I'm six years old. And my question is, why do bubbles pop? Well, Mira, if we're talking about soap bubbles, soap bubbles are made up of soap and water. So the first reason that they can pop is because your hands, if you're touching them, are dry. Bubbles like things to be wet, and if you're touching it with your dry finger, it's going to pop because it's breaking up that perfect bond of soap and water. Now, lots of things like dust or dry materials can pop a bubble. So dryness or just being dry is really the enemy of the bubble. That bubbles don't want to be dry; they want to be wet. So a bubble in the air, if you're blowing bubbles and it goes off into the air and then it pops, that's because it's in too much dry air. Well, so there are a couple of different ways a bubble can pop. So you can touch it with your dry finger. But remember the soap sandwich that I talked about. So inside a soap bubble is a layer of water, and water does something called dehydrate over time. So dehydration is a pretty long term for just drying up. If you've ever dropped water on the ground and watched it for like a really long time, you'll notice that water disappears, and that's and that's because it's slowly drying over time. So when a bubble is floating in the air. In that soap sandwich, the water layer starts to dehydrate or dry up, and then when the two soap areas touch each other, it pops. So a bubble will naturally pop over time, but some bubbles can last for a really long time. And a gum bubble pops because you're forcing too much air into it, and that gum is getting thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner, and then it just can't take it anymore. Right. The material. So a gum bubble, when you're blowing into it, the surface or the area around the air that you're expanding and expanding and expanding, you're stretching out that material to the point where its little molecules can't hold on anymore, and then it just goes pop. All right, so our next question is from Oscar, who lives in Brattleboro, Vermont. And I'm five years old, and my question is, what's it like inside a bubble? All right, Oscar. Well, to learn more about what's like inside of a bubble, we're going to walk over to our bubble dome exhibition, where you can make a dome and see what looks like smoke on the inside of a bubble. Can we actually get in the bubble? Well, it's not that big. All right. So here we are in the bubble dome area, and you've got two bubble dome tables, and over by one, there are a couple of kids, and they're holding hoses and making bubbles. And when the bubble pops, some smoke is coming out. What is happening? Well, the smoke it helps us to see that air is what gets trapped inside of a bubble. So air, for the most part, you can't see it. It's all around us. We need it, but it's invisible. So it's pretty cool. Now, when you add smoke, it's kind of like air, but it's tinted in a way that you can see it. So what we have are machines that help to pour a little bit of smoke inside of that bubble. So instead of you blowing into a bubble wand or making a bubble with your fingers or just having a bubble fall from the air, you're actually taking a tube, putting it into the bubble solution, and then sort of grabbing and forming that bubble solution around the air that's being blown through the tube. And what you get is a really cool dome or a bubble that. It's filled with mist or smoke. 
right, can we can we do it? Of, of course. Okay, so what I did was I took a tube and I dipped it into the bubble solution, and because the tube is wet, I was able to make sure that it grasped the glycerin water around it to create a bubble. That bubble was really big. Yeah. Yep. Here we go. So the trick with any type of bubble wand or bubble tube or anything that you're using, even your hands to blow a bubble, is to make sure that it's wet. So you can get fancy bubble wands, but you can also just use your hands and just making sure that they're wet. And then you can blow through a circle that you make with your hands, like you're making an OK symbol with your hands. And then you can actually create a bubble, too. So there's the smoke inside the bubble. And what does that tell us about what it feels like inside the bubble? Well, you know that you're going to be under a lot of pressure because there's air inside of it. Now, a lot of structures today have air inside. So often we go into domes. I play tennis inside a large dome that's compressed with air. Um, and the air is helping that dome to stay up. And that's a lot like a bubble. So architects and engineers often use bubbles to help model what they want to create to make beautiful structures. If I was inside of a bubble, would I be able to breathe? Well, if you were inside a dome filled with air and that dome was big enough for you to get inside, you'd be able to breathe for a while. And if that bubble dome that you were inside was made out of soap and water, you'd breathe for a while. But then what would happen was that that bubble would eventually start to dehydrate, that water layer on the inside, and eventually you'd pop it. So you'd be able to breathe. So that's if you were inside a big soap bubble. So there's no, it's not like there's a different air pressure between the air inside the bubble and the air outside of the bubble? You know, I've never been trapped inside of a bubble, so I can't tell you personally whether or not, like, you feel a real difference. And bubbles are fleeting or they don't last for very long. So bubbles that I actually have been inside that are really small pop really fast. So I couldn't tell you from personal experience. We have a special bubble booth at the Monshire that lets anyone be able to at least be surrounded by three sides of a bubble. So it was really important important to us to make sure that if you are a person who uses a wheelchair or if you um, had a hard time stepping up onto a step, um, that you'd be able to at least see what it would be like to be inside of a bubble. But some museums also have areas where you can get onto a platform and then with a loop and a string, pull a bubble all the way on top of you and eventually have that bubble seal off to where you're in the bubble. Now, I've never seen anyone be inside one of those bubbles for more than two or three seconds. So generally, if you're taking that big gasp of air, your, your air that you might exhale will actually pop the bubble. All right. We're inside the bubble booth. You have a rope that you're going to pull, and this rope is attached inside this soapy water. Look, there's a bubble all around us. We are surrounded on three Ooh. sides of a bubble. But it feels like the bubble is trying to come in and touch us. It's like sinking in on us. Instead of usually you think of a bubble as puffing out. Well, the bubble's moving and changing shapes and colors because the air inside this little bubble film is moving all around and is dehydrating. Or, oh, there we go. The bubble just popped. So... You can make very large bubble sheets. Um, You can see that often when you are doing dishes, you might get a big... uh, bubble sheet or a big sort of like when you're washing your car, um, whenever you have like big buckets of bubbles um, that you're moving your hands in and out of, you can get a big flat plane of soap film, which ultimately this is. Now, soap film that we're looking at and water 
and it moves because I'm stretching it. So we're, we're actually expanding the bubble as it goes up. So it's, the molecules don't quite know what to do, so that's why they move all around. And now you're blowing bubbles into the bubble. Yep. Let's see if we can get a bubble. There we go. So when you see a bubble in your bread or you're chewing gum and you make a bubble, is that the same thing? There's no soap in that. It's a little bit different. So what those things are are surfaces that have air inside of them that expand. So when you're chewing gum, you're taking a surface that's malleable or a surface that's easy to move around, and you're blowing air into it. It's like a balloon. So a balloon and a bubble, they have the same shape. They do a lot of the same things, but they're made up of different materials. So a balloon is made out of rubber, whereas a bubble that you get from soap and water is made out of something we call glycerin or soap and water. Bubbles are really amazing for everybody to experience. That's why so many people like to study them or play with them. They're these beautiful things that have a large shape that seem to float on the air. And because they float, they feel very whimsical or fun to experience. And that's why kids and adults alike love bubbles. Thank you for showing us the bubbles. I appreciate it. Oh, I loved having it. And thanks so much for those great questions about bubbles. Before I left, I wandered around the bubble exhibit to see what some young experimenters were doing. My name is Matthew. I'm eight years old, and I live in Oxford, Massachusetts. So you've got your hands in the bubbles. What does it feel like? It feels soapy and weird. (laughs) Very, very weird. (laughs) I agree. Kind of slippery. Bubbles can be made in the tub by soap and water so you can make your own own at home. Yeah, I like making bubbles and bubble baths and I really like it here because you can make huge bubbles. What are you making now? We're trying to my dad's trying to like put a bubble cage around me. Aww. Almost. Watch out. Ready? <laughs> so close. What do you think it feels like inside a bubble? It would probably feel really weird. (laughs) My name's Connor, and I'm 11. And you guys are playing with the bubbles, and you're playing with the smoke that's inside the bubbles. Tell me what's happening. Well, the smoke's filling up the bubbles so that it expands until it pops and lets out a big gas gas smoke. I'm a bubble king. That's it for today's episode. If you want to make your own bubbles, we have a simple recipe on the But Why Kids Facebook page and at butwhykids.org. Do you like our show? Could you do us a big favor? Have an adult help you write a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps other families find us. Or you could just tell other families about us. That's called word of mouth, and it's a great way to learn about new things and share things you really enjoy. Like, but why? And if you want to send us a question or a suggestion for things you'd like us to do better or differently, please do. You can record your questions using a smartphone, try the memo function, and then send the file to questions at butwhykids.org. Be sure to tell us your first name, where you live, and how old you are. And that email address, questions at butwhykids.org, is also where to send your pictures of the great bubbles you've made, your thoughts for us, criticisms, praise, anything you want us to know. But Why is produced at Vermont Public Radio by Melody Baudet and me, Jane Lindholm. Our theme music is by Luke Reynolds. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new episode.
Until then, stay curious. Thank you.